The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. All 
right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by my lovable co-host and uh, good friend and partner and just all around good old folk. The good old Kyle from the fog is here. Ready yeah. to give you a hug. Kyle looks a little foggy this morning, if you will. It's kind of early for him. It, it Yes. Yes. <laughs> 8 a.m. Is, is a midnight hour for a millennial. Uh, too bad at 8, 8 a.m. It's now 9 a.m. But, oh, it is uh, 9 a.m. Oh, geez, geez. <laughs> see how foggy you are. Yeah. Uh, so this, uh, obviously, if you haven't uh, heard, this is episode one, where we're going to be talking about the original John Carpenter's The Fog. The Fog. Uh, Kyle, uh, it's been a while since we've actually recorded. It's probably been a month um, because there's been some sickness running rampant in my, me personally and your your house. So we decided to do this, uh, and the next movie we do, we're going to do a virtual recording, if you will. So uh, if Kyle sounds like he's in a daze, he probably is, and it's because we're not in the same room. So we just want to give her about that. If our audio quality is a little off, or Kyle sounds like a robot at times, that's because he lives in the sticks. So just letting everybody It is the season for cold and flu season. You know, it is... uh... Uh, bad thing but we wanted to get something recorded and we have these um notes and movies lined up so i was like let's let's get some of this done right be good. So hopefully it will sound good but kyle before we get started i have a question Ooh, it's question. i know it's early for you so here we go what horror movie got you into watching and or hooked on horror movies horror movies as a genre that is an excellent excellent question uh that man i'm gonna show up because i mean, of course like i had to be a little bit younger so it's not really like a horror horror movie in my mind but maybe like the gosh a movie i really enjoyed just kind of younger growing up uh maybe like m night Shyamalan's the signs or uh uh maybe the jeepers creepers too like honestly probably like horror movies that like i remember like ah or like not even like, really so- horror at that point they're like, suspense and like a little bit of vague horror when it's so ridiculous but like I you're so young you could even say more appreciation later for more uh you know classic horror movies at that point so it's you're like that's so- the most innocent answer i can give <laughs> you're so young you couldn't even say jeepers creepers one you had to go with jeepers creepers two I, I I only saw Jeepers Creepers one once and I didn't like it. Jeepers Creepers Reborn is getting ready to come out to theaters. I think it's the 19th, 20th, and 21st of this month. So uh awesome. for me for me, uh it the the one that I remember besides the original Universal Monster movies, because like the Wolfman and Creature from the Black Balloon are some of the ones that I remember the most growing up. This movie, The Fog is probably the one that set my love of horror movies. Um, it's just so well done. And for this movie, less is more, if you will. Um, you know, you don't really see the characters very often. All you see is that fog and the way that they use the lighting and the shadows and, and just, just snippets of the, the uh, pirates, if you will, uh, this is the movie that did it for me. I remember when I was really young, I came around the corner of the couch and this was on TV and, you know, the scene at the end where they're in the church and the, they're standing in the middle of the aisles, you know, behind the pews and that fogs there, the lights, it's just the movie that scared me. So yeah. but before I get into my whole synopsis, uh, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and take it away? 
Let's go into the movie facts. Yep. Okay, we have The Fog, released in 1980, um, directed by the legendary John Carpenter of like Thing and uh, uh, They Live and They Fame and stuff like that too. Uh, Halloween. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that little movie <laughs> Halloween. Yeah, I don't know if anyone ever heard of that. I just watched the uh, the sequel for the first time just last week. Actually, I really Which enjoyed one? it. Who? Uh, uh, Halloween Kills or Halloween? Yeah, oh. Halloween Kills. I watched that for the first time. The extended cut because I don't think you can even get the theatrical cut on a on a, a standard release anymore. Um, yeah, but that was okay. Um, John Carpenter had nothing to do with it <laughs> besides the name. <laughs> but uh, let's see here. Also, this movie is written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. For the budget, we only have one point one million in nineteen eighty. So that's an insanely low budget for how much um, mileage they get out of this film with the fog effects and the costuming lighting and everything else too 1.1 is nothing for a movie that's that's you know this movie could be 10 million and i would still be very very impressed with the level of production value they put into that movie um a hundred like probably closer to 50 million would have made sense to me uh before i even started like think started to really overthink about it uh but 1.1 million is insanely low john carpenter must have called in some favors to get this movie done the way he got it done just for inflation, that'd be about uh, 3.7 million today, roughly. And for the box office, it came home with just 21 million, which would be the equivalent of about um, 67 million dollars today, roughly. Um, so like, that's a that's a pretty good budget because, like, uh, you know, they imagine like budget of the film 1.1 million, marketing maybe another two million, and the national like theater release, you probably want to make sure you get uh, at least nine million back. So probably made it, you know. A small but profitable movie, which is impressive. Okay, moving on here, we have, uh, I don't have the normal span of all the notes I got, but I do have the cast here. We have Andrina of uh, Barbie um, playing Stevie Wayne. She was in such movies as Escape from New York and Creep Show. Then we, of course, have the legendary Jamie Lee Curtis, the screen queen herself, playing Elizabeth Sully. Of course, known for movies such as uh, The Little in Halloween um, and uh, Trading Places and a, a bunch of other movies. Then we have Janet Lee playing Kathy Williams. John Hausman playing Mr. Mountain, Tom Atkins playing Nick Castle, James Canning playing Dick Basker, Charlie Cyphers playing Dan O'Brien, Nancy Keys playing Sandy Fidel, and Ty Mitchell playing Andy Wayne, Hall Hallbrook playing Father Malone. Uh, Hall Brawlbrook, also kind of a, 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 <laughs> a, a bigger actor. He's in, he's in the movie Creep Show, too. All the President's Men and Lincoln, Into the Wild, so like that, too. Then we have John F. Goff playing Al, Al Williams. George Flower, also known as Buck, playing Tommy Wallace. Uh, Regina Walden playing Mrs. Coberts. Jim Hain playing the Doc Master. Darrow Eggis playing Mel. John Vick playing Sheriff David Sims. And Jim Jacobus playing the Mayor. That's the cast for The Fog in 1980. <sighs> So Jimbo, that's actually all I got for that one. Um, of course, also aspect of ratio of 16.9 and color movie, 1980s, all that good stuff. But uh, overall, that's all I had for my personal notes here. So Kyle, you know, when he doesn't come here, he doesn't have quite the extensive notes research that he has when he gets here that I already have printed off for him. Yeah, because we, 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 we go through it together and highlight it up. I do some work. <laughs> so, some. Uh, hey, print those off before I get there. Try, you do the movie. <laughs> So, Kyle, uh, for somebody that doesn't know uh, what the premise of this movie is, give us a quick synopsis of this movie. 
Ah, uh, you know, that's a, a <laughs> I don't want to say the town, but basically a, 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 a a docking and shipping town is being besieged by a uh, supernatural fog and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character and a bunch of other characters are trying to investigate what's going on and also discover what kind of curse has befallen this small town and through the work of a, a, a priest and a, a radio operator and a bunch of other people they um, manage to kind of overcome this uh, supernatural threat and uh, you kind of follow that journey of a of a, this basically almost kind of evil pirates likes people invading a town with uh, hooks and knocking on doors stuff like that too that's the, the most <laughs> of it. i guess i can probably give maybe i can get like a more official synopsis of the fog if i just go to the link real quick and look at it just think of a, a better kind of like oh yeah this movie well some people may not realize it has been over a month since we've recorded but uh that's probably when kyle last watched this movie so yeah yeah oh oh wait let me read the official like quick little storyline synopsis just give it a more of a a a more gradual kind of like oh okay against the backdrop of a spine chilling stories of drowned mariners and a hundred year old shipwreck lying in the bottom of the sea the peaceful coastal town of antonio bay california is making preparations to celebrate its centennial however a a strange supernatural occurrence is blemished the festivities against fog starts to shroud the seaside town leading to unaccountable disappearances a century ago, a crime was committed by the time elders. Now, the restless dead have returned for revenge. Is there something evil lurking in the fog? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, bah, bah. So, <laughs> there you have it. So, we'll go ahead and jump into some of the notes I have. So, Kyle, the band mentioned on the radio near the movie's beginning is the Coupe de Villes, which features none other than director John Carpenter. Oh, they actually play a song over the closing credits of another movie, which was also directed by John Carpenter, known as Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, China. <laughs> We're going to have to do that one, too. That's a good movie. Wait. Do what? Did we do already do that? We already did that. Wow. We already did that. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. It's Kyle. We did not. We, we it's on the list. That. It's on the list, but we haven't done it. Dude. Because... Jen Thompson wanted to come up back on and, and do it. That's with right. Stuff. That's right. It's in the backlog of movies that we watched several times, but never recorded. Yeah. Right. We should so, do it today, Jimbo. We've never done it. That's great. We've never done prep work for that. <laughs> I was like, I don't even have notes for it. So I don't know where you got that information. From. So, I watched it like three times on the podcast and we never did. <laughs> uh, the character played by John Carpenter Bennett, because Carpenter is actually if, at the beginning of the movie, he's Father Malone's assistant at the very beginning of the movie, but he's never credited for it in, in the uh, credits. Um, is named after, so Bennett is named after Carpenter's friend, Bennett Trammer. They went to USC, which is the University of Southern California together. And then Carpenter used the character named Ben Trammer and Halloween also as a potential love interest for Laurie Strode. Uh, the name of the coroner played by Darwin Jostin, Dr. Fibes is a reference to Dr. Anton Fibes, the character played by legendary actor, Vincent Price in the horror movie, The Abdominal Dr. Fibes, and the sequel, Dr. Fibes Rise Again. Classic horror movie. Yeah. Yep. Uh, John Carpenter stated two inspirations for this film, both of which are related to Great Britain. The first was the British film, The Crawling Eye, which dealt with monsters hiding in the clouds. Kyle, have you ever watched The Crawling Eye? Falling Eye? I have never Crawling, heard of Crawling. crawling. Oh, crawling. crawling eye, crawling as like a spider crawls. Yes, I have never heard of the crawling eye, but I gotta say the idea of monsters hiding in the clouds reminds me of a lot of a current movie just came out with uh, uh, Nope, you know Jordan yeah. Peele's movie, Monsters Hiding in the Clouds. That's a really cool. Um... <laughs> I might, I might have to check that one out. That sounds pretty interesting. So, 
Yeah. Uh, he also stated that he and his co-writer producer Deborah Hill was also inspired by a trip to legendary Stonehenge, the ancient monument in southwest England, which uh, was covered in fog during their visit. So I bet that was pretty interesting. Um, the lead ghost, uh, if you will, ghost, I use that term loosely, uh, Blake, was played by makeup specialist Rob Botton. When Botton asked for the job, John Carpenter asked him to stand up. Botton then expected Carpenter to say, and get out. But when Carpenter saw that Botton was a very large man at six foot five, uh, which was needed for the character like Blake, he was hired right then and there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think like 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 you know, nineteen eighty horror movies are like a great time for really tall actors. Like you go, like, <laughs> man, you're like six, you're like six eight, six nine. Yeah, man, you put you, put on this Halloween mask and you're gonna kill people. It's gonna be great. You got easy money coming in. Just you just stand there and look imposing, and they're like, yes, finally a job for me. And walk slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, walk slowly. Stand around all day, and it's like, man, how much am I getting paid for this? A lot. Like, yes, I found my purpose. <laughs> um. Even though they are billed as some of the main <laughs> actresses, Adrian Barbeau and Jamie Lee Curtis do not appear in any of the scenes together in this movie. Oh wow! Looks well, like I would like I wouldn't think of it, but now you mentioned like oh yeah, they never did show. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie's opening prologue was a quote from the final two lines of the great legendary uh, author Edgar Allan Poe's poem, "A Dream Within a Dream." It states. Is all that we see or seem, but a dream within a dream. A dream within a dream. Inception, if you will. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is an Edgar Allan Poe novel. Yep. Uh, so Poe. the Poe. role of Father Malone was originally offered to none other than Sir Christopher Lee, who believed that the character to be the father of the community. However, Lee proved unavailable in how Holbrook was eventually cast. I feel like if Sir Christopher Lee, like if he got the role in the movie, would immediately have gotten the ten million dollars. <laughs> right, I would imagine they did for the budget because you go out and be like, "I got Christopher Lee for this." Like, okay, I'm gonna make big money now. <laughs> uh, Kurt Russell was offered a role in the movie, but I couldn't find which one of the characters he'd play. I'm assuming it would have probably been the truck driver. Yeah, that's uh, what I imagine. Too. I can see him doing that. Um, while driving to the lighthouse, Stevie flips uh, around the radio dial and a broadcast confirming a search for the ship. The seagrass is heard. The voice mentions a sweep south of Waitley Point and Arkham Reef. Both Arkham Reef and surname Waitley are references to writer H.P. Lovecraft as he uses both repeatedly in his stories. Carpenter is a huge fan of Lovecraft. Yes, yes. I'm pretty sure we, we, we've gone through those several things in previous Carpenter movies. That, yeah, um, and Lovecraft, of course, influence on uh, you know supernatural horror or like even cosmic horror is uh, cannot be understated. Really, that's a very large you know shadow over the entire genre that he almost fathered in his own way. So I can definitely see making those references and being pretty cool. And also, again, it's also always nice to bring up Arkham. <laughs> Everyone thinks of Batman, but it's like no, no, no. It's a Lovecraft <laughs> thing, guys. <laughs> As Stevie calls out the progress of the fog uh, through town over the radio, she mentions Russellville Road and Small House Road. These are two prominent streets in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where John Carpenter spent time growing up. <laughs> that, that coastal town in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, at the beginning, the guy sitting there uh, on the beach where he's given the thing, telling the story about the ghost ship that crashed or the ship that crashed, you know, and all that. Um, 
he says uh, it's supposed to take five minutes from 11.55 to midnight when he's talking. But in fact, it's only two minutes and 25 seconds uh, from the moment that he mentions it's 11.55 to the moment that the bell rings in the background signaling it's midnight. So <laughs> little little jump in the gun there. Yeah, a little jump in the gun <laughs> still. Works right, so, this, so this next fact that I found... Um, so when 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 Father Malone first uh, gets the journal, are you okay? You're not. Yeah, I'm fine. Wig, yeah. out over there. <laughs> okay. I saw myself uh, on the monitor and I got excited like a child. It's great. <laughs> uh, so when Father Malone first discovers that journal, he glances at the title page, then he flips to an open page text that is partially blocked, and it's only seen for a split second. But yes, there are some people that have paused it, and we have what that says. Are you ready? The analysis. Give it there to is me. some explicit here, so I'm going to have to blankety blank some of this stuff. So you blank it that way. So the visible portion reads with spelling errors. Obviously, is, is something. Some my college education to work writing dumb blank in this blanking movies. Uh, props being one. It's time to bring in the words guide uh, or the big tits, tattoos, and shaved beavers. I know horny uh, blocks would go blocks some of that. So, so <laughs> I don't know if it was just a writer that was just having fun. Maybe they thought, oh, nobody will ever see this. Maybe it's Carpenter trying to put something funny on there. I don't know. But I just thought that was kind of crazy. I love that kind of like, or like, you know, not thinking of the head or just not caring kind of mentality sometimes. Like, and eh, no, no one's going to see this for more than a second anyway. So just write whatever. And so they just write every terrible thing they could possibly think of immediately. Right. And uh, I, I appreciate that mindset. I wish we got more of it sometimes, but uh, I know why. <laughs> it's like, now we do know. Like, yeah, someone's going to eventually going to stop with that, stare at that, then put it on the internet later. And then everyone's going to mock you. It's like, ah, cancel culture so bad now. <laughs> right. All that funny stuff. Um, Adrian Barbeau uh, patterned her voice after Allison Steele, who was a female disc jockey from the 1960s, who was known as the Nightbird. The Nightbird. <laughs> Coming at you live, folks. Uh, We're here down. I the am Nightbird. the terror. I am the terror that flaps in the night. <laughs> exactly. You're flapping your butt. Like what? What? I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, Nightbird flaps the butt. <laughs> Jazz music was used for Stevie Wayne's radio station because this was more affordable than rock music. So they probably didn't want to pay all that as royalties. So, yeah. Um, I wonder how they although, got like royalty free music back in the day now. Cause now you can just go to a website and get royalty free music all you want. Like, here's a catalog of a thousand songs you can use for anything, no matter what. Just make sure you bring your credits in. Right. You know? yeah. Although she was known for her television roles, this was the debut cinematic movie of actress Adrian Barbeau. Uh, the movie was shot in just 30 days in the anamorphic two point, uh, sorry, two thirty five point one format. So it only shot 30 days. Well done. In 30 nights. Uh, the scene on the dock at Bodega Bay was filmed in a single day. Um, actress Janet Leigh, or Lee, sorry, and Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis, Curtis are real life mother and daughter. And I thought it was awesome to see them in this movie together. Oh, because that's awesome. John Carpenter is a big Janet Lee fan. And we've talked about how that's basically how Jamie Lee Curtis got her role when he realized that, hey, this is her daughter of. Right. So the name of the old clipper ship was the Elizabeth Dane, whilst the names of other boats seen in the picture were the Hyper Hyperio, the Lady Laura, and yes, the partially obscured, but most telling one, Halloween. 
<laughs> That's good. That's good. Why not? Yeah. When you uh, have the opportunity, you got to do it. Portraying Sandy Fatal was actress Nancy Keys, or Keyes, uh, who was known at the time of building the movie as Nancy Loomis, having the same last name as the psychiatrist Dr. Sam Loomis, Lewis. who was also from Plaza, Halloween. Yeah, was a regular character in the Halloween movies, of which Carpenter directed the first movie in 1978. Including this movie, Nancy Loomis had appeared in five movies, either directed or produced by John Carpenter. The other movies were Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, Halloween 2, and Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. It's the Season of the Witch. Yeah. Uh, uh, Actress Adrian Barbeau and director John Carpenter were married at the time this movie was made and released. He wrote the role of Stevie Wayne for her specifically, so I guess it's... uh, if you're married to her, you know, it's kind of like uh, Rob Zombie, uh, you know, casting uh, Sherry Moon yeah. as... in the new Monsters movie or, uh, you know, or like, uh, or uh, Milo Jovovich and uh, what's yep. his name? Uh, the guy who did the Resident Evil movies. Right. Um, yeah. uh, a remake of this movie was released in 2005, which I have not watched, but I'm very interested to see the difference or how it is. Uh, it was also produced by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, uh, makers of the original one. So. And I do believe it's starring Tom Welling. You know, I think that was Superman and uh, the yeah supernatural, uh, not supernatural. The uh, yeah Superman and the uh, what was the name? Small of the, was it? Small Small Thank you, thank you. Um, uh, there's a couple other famous actors and actresses in that I do believe, but I I I, I would like to see uh, what they changed if they changed anything. I'm maybe sure like a smaller part two podcast where we can compare and contrast. Like yeah, yeah, maybe we'll do a real talk on that because we also want to do uh, what was the other one I said. Oh, Superman 2 and Superman 2, the Donner cut. I think that oh, would be yeah, doing those comparisons would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, although this movie costs just over $1 million to make, Avco Embassy spent three times that amount on advertising and promotion. This included TV ads, radio ads, print ads, and the studio even installed fog machines at a cost of $350 each in the lobbies of selected cinemas while the movie was showing. <laughs> Can you imagine? What was that movie? Was that matinee with John Goodman where he... He did like he would shock the chairs and all that when people were watching it, and like something came oh, out. Yeah, yeah, that was the whole thing. Where like, yeah, they tried to put the theaters in the theater themselves, shock the chairs, rumble the theater, all that right. crazy stuff. It'd be cool if you're watching Fog started coming to the movie theater. You know what I mean? That would've been really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always so ridiculous, kind of like the marketing schemes they have back then. Now, like you don't get any of those ridiculous things now. It's just like you know in, a new kind of internet campaign for marketing that could be weird sometimes or viral marketing to some degree. But you never see like, oh yeah, would you put a fog machine in a theater? <laughs> Sell theater right. tickets. And Alfred Hitchcock did a lot of that stuff too. You know, to promote his <laughs> movies. So uh, John Carpenter originally intended to secure this movie with a PG rating, uh, but ended up with an R rating instead because the studio wanted more scares. And, and violent fuel because if you notice there's a uh there's a lack of blood in this movie yeah there's hardly yeah. any blood yeah so, yeah yeah but it's still like it's a it's a it's a it's a horror movie first and foremost but it's um you know that's kind of one of those things where like the um the rating system is inadequate because i feel like a lot of you know pg like you know you can make really effective pg or pg-13 horror movies but because they always want to push for an r-rated to say it's actually scary because it is r-rated you know it, right. they kind of limit what we can actually make it's one of those just small things it's like ah okay but like the pg cut probably is the definitive cut but like we get this r-rated version because we have to push for an r-rated and we get people to take it seriously and right. that's just uh annoying in the 1990s john carpenter mentioned during an interview with fangora magazine that he was interested in producing an anthology series based on the fog from 1980 
However, the proposed series would at first not have featured any of the characters from Antonio Bay. Instead, the fog itself would have served as a catalyst for other supernatural stories elsewhere. He also implied that as the series progressed, connective ties to his 1980 film would become more apparent. However, the series never materialized, and in 2005, a remake was produced instead. I could definitely see that working. Even now, like the idea of just like, you know, a fog rolling in, like lends itself so well to episodic content that I could definitely see like a, a Netflix and Amazon, even a Hulu, picking up that idea and running with it and possibly making something very good or very, very bad, which is more likely. But I would be interested to see that for sure. Um, even today, I think like there's a there's a good case for making a cool show like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the Blu-ray audio commentary for the movie, John Carpenter noted that the deliberate wrecking of the Clipper ship and its subsequent plundering was based on an actual event, the wrecking of the frolic that took place in the 19th century near Goleta, California. So uh, basically, I was reading up on that a little bit, and there was actually a plot to set out like a fire on the beach, and they thought it was the lighthouse, but by the time it got too close, it hit rocks. And they went and stole a bunch of stuff from the ship that it was the, the treasures it was carrying. So uh, very interesting. Uh, when Janet Lee is standing just outside the church door, there's an arc of fog at the top of the image. This was not intentional, but was actually fog on the lens of the camera. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Tom Atkins character named is, is Nick Castle, which, of course, is uh, the name of the original actor who played Michael Myers or the shape in John Carpenter's classic film, the Halloween. Um, Carpenter likes to reuse names a lot, so uh, or pay homage to a lot of stuff. I wonder if it's like it's help, it helps in like the script writing process and we're all just keep using the same names over and over again. Like it's not even necessarily a Halloween thing. That's just a Carpenter thing that keeps reusing the same names over and over again. You know. uh, the lighthouse used in the movie uh, is the Point Reyes Lighthouse in Marin County, California. There are over 300 steps leading down to the lighthouse. Kyle be OK going down, but trying to get back up. going to be a problem. I've actually been in a lighthouse in uh, Cosmo, Mexico once. I remember like thinking the same thing. Like, these stairs are ridiculous. Here's the elevator. Yeah. And I was on a tour guide, and one of the guys, like one of the other guests, actually fell down the stairs. It was not a, not a fun day. <laughs> uh, this movie contains three of the most prominent scream queens of cinema, Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Janet Lee. I mean, they've been in a lot of famous movies. A whole trinity of scream queens, yeah. Uh, when gasoline is flowing from the gas pump, the cell is for $4.34 for 8.3 gallons. This makes gas about 52.3 cents per gallon. Man. Man. To today. You know, yeah. Yeah. Seeing you in person now wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two years later, Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau would get, uh, again be cast together in Romero's, uh, Romero's Creep Show. They played husband and wife. That's a great uh, movie, too. Uh, anthology of movies. Yeah. Um, Stevie can be seen climbing down the exa exactly 315, uh, 13 steps to the lighthouse. Uh, the stairs go down 900 feet, which is equivalent of 25 stories. Uh, the stairs sometimes close as the winds can reach 40 miles per hour. Wow. That is scary <laughs> yeah it is yeah you know you would think there would be like a rope you're tying around your waist or something to pull yourself down or up yeah you know, just in like case you wind, i'm gonna die this time definitely i'm gonna die this time <laughs> right uh when andy sees the wood at the beach the audience can see goat rock beach in the background this formation part of sonoma coast state beach were prominently seen in the background of the final scene of none other than the great 80s movie the goonies 
The goonies. So shot from the other direction. So they were actually on the other side shooting this way. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. It's a small world after all. Uh, yeah, here in my notes I have right here that the absence of blood was a failed attempt by Carpenter to get a PG rating. Uh, despite that, it still received an R rating. Mm-hmm. Um, extensive reshoots were done after the first screening when director and studio executives decided that the movie wasn't scary enough. Additional scenes shot included close-ups of the death scenes, specifically the stab wounds, uh, the scene with Jamie Lee Curtis and the walking corpse in the morgue, which was a great scene, mm-hmm. and the finale yeah. with Adrian Barbeau on top of the lighthouse. So. Uh, Adrian Barbeau has only one scene with her son and a climatic showdown with two of the ghosts. Other than that, all of her scenes were by herself, but no direct on-screen interaction with any other characters. That that's one of the like the lower budget makes more sense to me because it's like, oh, we only had like one actor on for this day doing this kind of work. You know, that that's where you can kind of stitch things together a little bit more in a cohesive story for a very cheap budget, in my mind. Um, right. But still, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think about getting like trying to get that R rating and like so trying to go for a PG movie. You know, I think Carpenter is um, really excellent at sometimes doing a less is more approach to filmmaking and like leaving how the implied disappearance like immediately causes your imagination to go wild and like think of like all the terrible things that happened. But instead, filming these R rated scenes where you have these close up them getting stabbed with hooks just doesn't have the same kind of horror kick to it. It does as they're just gone. <laughs> that kind of you know that kind of like horror and. uh Stuff that goes in there because your mind immediately goes to like the worst case scenario, which is always going to be more than what they can show you on screen in many cases. Right. So, yeah. Um, and which which is also very telling, too, because, you know, she is at a lighthouse for one, but not only the lighthouse, but she's also the radio host on that's on at night in the small town. So she thinks it's her job to stay there to keep the people informed, too, over the airwaves. Um, which is very interesting too. You know what I mean? I thought that so basically, um, you know, and I've heard that if you're a lighthouse keeper, you, you have one job and that is to stay in the lighthouse to protect any of the ships that are coming in. So they don't crash. Yeah. Um, So she took her job very seriously, even at the expense of her son uh, or the safety of her son, uh, which is very interesting. So, yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a cool like an unusual kind of moral imperative. Like you don't know, think of those being the jobs where like a disaster's coming in. These are people that have to be on the front lines of this to like keep people safe. So like yeah, being a lighthouse person, like oh, we have a horror thing that happened at a lighthouse. Now you have to be the leader in that case of protecting your town. You know, it'd be like it'd be like like a, like a new rat play going on, and the local exterminators like I got to be a hero now. And that kind of moment is kind of a because uh, you just usually say like it's going to be a police or a fireman you know protecting your neighborhood from a fire or like from a crime or something like that right but instead we have like these kind of a uh, a more uh, a less dramatic kind of job being placed in this uh, moral imperative where they have to protect the town um as their job um and that's a that's a cool little twist on things i think uh, more movies could do <laughs> right um and the last scene where stevie is on top of the lighthouse and the fog slowly disappears the crew realized they would not be able to get the fog to roll out. So they had Adrian Barbeau perform the scene in such a way that the film could be played in reverse. Oh, that's wow. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I like, to I want to go back and look at that scene again, just to see how like stilted that kind of walking is or how, how naturally he made it look. Right. Um, that's really cool. Um, in the final scene at the church, a wall behind Andy is a uh, brick inscribed H Hawks. This is a reference to John Carpenter's favorite director, Howard Hawks. So, so Kyle, before we go on to the thing, here's here's my here's a question I have for you. <laughs> we know that um, 
some some people in the past, like a hundred years ago, have stolen the treasure of Blake and his pirates. When they come, they say, you know, you see the the, the uh, wood that our son finds that's uh, got the name of the ship or whatever, and it burns and it says six must die or whatever. Um, yes. My my question to you is, do you think that the six that needed to be killed had to be directly tied or descendants of the people that did them harm? Or was it just the first six they came across they were going to kill? And if the six that they killed and they didn't find their treasure, would they have came back in another hundred years to try to find their treasure again? Oh, Because the only reason I say that is because, you know, they kill the three on the ship the three sailors on the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they kill the, uh, the guy that was always calling in. Wasn't he like the weatherman always calling yeah. into the thing, which was a cool death scene. So there's four. Uh, then you had, um, Oh, who was it? There was somebody else that died, but uh, I think this has one of the best endings of a horror movie that I've ever seen because, you know, um, Blake comes and, and the, the father Malone or whatever gives them the cross that they had melted their gold down. I mean, this gigantic gold cross, you know, and he's, he's like frying and, and the guy pulls him off that or whatever. And, and at the very last thing you see, you know, he's standing in the church and, and he's like, I don't understand, you know, why didn't they kill me? They should have killed me. Well, I guess I survived. And you slowly see that fog start coming in and behind him, you see Blake, dude, and he has that sword and it just goes to cut his head off. Uh, I thought it was really well done, but uh, the question I pose to you is: Would it have to? Why? I guess why did it have to be Blake, or not Blake? Why did it have to be the father? I know it was in his family because he found the journal of whatever. You know what I mean? So, Kyle, my question to you was: uh, Sorry, we got a little disconnected there because we had a power outage. So. Did the six people that died? Did they have to be a direct descendant of the people that stole from the original uh, Blake and his pirates? Or could it have just been six random people? The curse would have been done. Blake would have got his gold right then and there and left. Or um, if he would have just killed six people and left and came back in another hundred years, what's your thoughts? I don't. I, this- I don't remember seeing anything in the movie about that. I could be wrong. It could have said something at the beginning, but I. You know, when he's telling the story on the shore uh, to the kids, but I'd have to, I'd, it's been a month since I've watched it, but I'm just what your thoughts were. Yeah, I think this film does imply that Blake and his pirate crew in the fog have some, you know, sentience or knowledge of what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that this is kind of a uh, uh, more of a, a greed first and a revenge second kind of scenario where like as soon as Father Malone gives him the gold cross, they leave because they think that's all they want. And then as it kind of lingers in their mind uh, and mind of Father Malone, they both think like, no, 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 we got to finish this up and actually get the revenge we've sought after after all this time. That's why he comes back and murders Father Malone and cuts off his head with the uh, outfit because his revenge is, uh, you know, after being fulfilled with greed, it's still not enough. Now they want the full revenge and they continue the murder of Father Malone. And um, presumably if John Carpenter had his way, they would continue murdering kind of forever um, with some degree because that's all they have anymore. So I think that's the kind of idea where like murdering six random people wouldn't have been enough. 
Um, also, like they wanted to get the gold first and foremost in their minds, but even if they got the gold, they still want to kill and get revenge and continue to go forth and be monsters um, for this um, new kind of uh, series, basically like that. I think that was the idea um, Carpenter had going into it. No, no, um, my mind's kind of a little foggy, but let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Was it six people they had to kill because that's how many pirates there were? I thought it had to do with like who robbed them specifically. The six uh, people that robbed them. But yeah. what I'm saying is, or was it just those, or was there six of the pirates that they killed to do it to rob? Oh, so got the idea of like an equal kind of like transaction, right. of like avenging my one soul for your soul or whatever. You see what? I'm yeah, saying? yeah. You know, I think also like if there was descendants, there'd be like more than six after a hundred years. They'd be like, oh, you got to kill a hundred people now because like, <laughs> you know, like Jim's second cousin definitely had like three kids, and now they had a whole ancestry thing getting their revenge done. You got to wipe out basically the whole town. At that I, point. I really should have rewatched. The problem with this movie is it's not readily available on any streaming service unless you rent it. Um, so I know there's a Blu-ray 4k coming out, I think in October, right, Kyle? Yeah. Or November, one of the two. It's right around the corner. Um, right. Yeah. And like, I like, if I was going to buy the Blu-ray, I would have bought the new 4k Blu-ray that's getting remastered right now, or I would have bought, you know, I would have tried to buy it digitally, but you can't buy it digitally anywhere. You can only rent it. So I rented it a month ago and watched it. And so now it's like, I have to piece together the thoughts of like, oh yeah, what was this movie again? Yeah. And, and, and I might be mistaken, but I think at the beginning when the, uh, the guy at the beginning is telling the, the ghost story to the kids around the campfire. He might say why or what, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, up to this point, I think it was just a legend. You know what I mean? This is what happened and you never know when they're coming back or whatever. So Kyle, what's your thoughts on the original John Carpenter's The Fog? And is this your first time viewing it? Yes, this is my first time viewing it. First time I've ever even really heard of it when I watched it initially because you brought it up to me like, let's watch The Fog in 1980. Like, oh, oh okay, I've never heard of this movie. And uh, it's it's a really clever idea is going into it and stuff I really appreciate. This is um right up my alley for almost uh you know uh, the kind of supernatural ghostly horror that has um no clear explanation in my mind. Like it is supernatural in a way that I appreciate where there's a lot of mystery and like how they work and how the things what their limitations are. They could do anything or possibly nothing. And I really appreciate that in the good horror movies. And John Carpenter just nailed it here. So this is I think one of the um other movies where like i can hold up carpenters like oh wow what a, what a cool director he is and uh how he does things that uh n- you know very few directors could really uh, match in many respects so overall i really appreciate this film i wish it was available more readily on digital services and as blu-rays go um unfortunately it's not hopefully i'll change in the future for this film and many others because there's a ton of films i wish were original digitally that just aren't now um so yeah overall i really appreciate this film and I, I, I enjoy it. I think if you're a Carpenter fan, this is well worth watching um, in the just a matter of like how you can get it available as well. You know, um, so, yeah, I really appreciate this film. Jimbo, how do you feel about this film overall? Well, I know you you've, you've people probably connected the dots since the very beginning of this episode when I uh, told my story of this is probably the movie that scared me the most as a kid. Um, because coming around, you know, I. I probably wasn't even three or four that I remember and, and just seeing, you know, the pirates there in, in the church, man, it was really well done. And, 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 you know, the eyes on them kind of glowed and it was just creepy. Um, I love this movie. It's the one that got me uh, into the genre of horror, if you will, uh, the, the newer this is horror. like foundational horror for you. you may right. Respect. 
yeah. besides the the Universal Monster movies that I I, I remember watching, the, especially the Wolfman and the Creature from the Black Moon, those two specifically, because um, it kind of remind me, you know, the Wolfman has the fog in the forest too, so it's kind of <laughs> kind of the same thing to Similar me. Idea, yeah. But what lies beneath the darkness, you know, that those kind of things. Yeah, this is one of my. This is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. And it's, you know, it's it's weird to say that. I'm not talking about Universal Monsters because obviously, you know, Creature from the Black Loon and Wolfman are my two favorite. Mm-hmm. And I like Frank. I like all the Universal Monsters. But to me, this movie is is, is different because there's not a lot of, there's no blood. Um, and like I said, it's more of what you don't see that's the scary part. Um, I mean, who knew that just a little fog rolling through a camera camera shot, you know, could be so intense and so scary that you didn't know what was in the fog. You know I mean? You would see like on the ship, you would see, just see like shadows walking by the door or the window or uh, when the uh, weatherman's in his office, you see the fog start coming in under the door and you just see the, 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 the red light or yellow light, you know, in the background and they start rattling the door. And then you have, when they come to the kid's house, when he's with the, the grandma, nanny, whatever you want to call her, you know, they got the, the hook and they're trying to get in, you know what I mean? It's just, it's yeah. Kid. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's like, it, it's such a great lesson of like, what you don't know is what scares you most in this film. And that's so brilliant. Oh, great. Yeah. So there you have it. That's our retake uh, or take of the original fog. Um, next week which we're probably getting ready to record here in a second anyway, but the next week we will be releasing probably it's one of the funniest movies I've seen. Um, them two together are just funny. We will be doing stir crazy, which is starring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Them two together, man, was just comedic gold. Um, I, you know, it takes, a, it takes a lot these days to get me to laugh out loud. I watched that movie and I just cracked up. And then I, I enjoyed it so much. I went ahead and went straight into see no evil, hear no evil because it's just funny them two together. There's just something about their comedic timing. Um, you know, they, they, they basically broke the racial barrier because they were so funny together that mm-hmm. nobody really paid attention to that. You know what I mean? And I, I oh, yeah. hilarious and the situations they get into, but we'll talk about that next week. So, if you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, leave us a review. We will read it on the air. You can reach us uh, via email at thetragiacinema at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Facebook at the Tragedy Cinema Facebook uh, group. Uh, if you'd like to be a guest on the episode, send me a message on Facebook or email me. Uh, we'd love to have you on. We can set up a Zoom meeting. Um, it would be a joy. Yeah, we got some other things coming down the pipeline, uh, some things I'm working on that uh, will be very interesting because it's something we've never done before. So this, Kyle doesn't even know about this shit. So um, I'm, 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 I'm trying to get in contact with the right person and then I will release that information when I, when I can. So with that being said, Kyle, I think this episode's coming to a close. Oh, you got the clapper now. I don't Yeah, because you can't, here. you're not here. Oh man. And oh. that's a wrap. Kyle? And cut. In perfect sync, always. <laughs> <laughs>